1: um okay welcome ladies and gentlemen to talking nicks we got a little pre-draft episode for you i'm here with kenny david and thomas hey guys let's talk Knicks. well i mean like i said the nba draft is coming up we're uh a week away which is really snuck up on us this year it also snuck away from us for, for a while as well, since it's usually in June. But we're coming up on it. But before we get to that, how's everybody doing? Kenneth, let's start with you. Doing good. Um,
0: been a busy week at work. Uh, just a lot of stuff going on. I am uh, a lawyer, the type of lawyer who gets very busy at the end of the year, so... A lot of people doing a lot of stuff based on this presidential election in my area of law and uh it's just gonna get worse so I'm here for a nice nice distraction
1: you know yeah we'll see about that um anyways me and Kenny actually work at the same place and sometimes I've told Tom this before but a good joke I like to pull is whenever I email Kenny on my work computer for my work email I call him Kenneth it's just like I, I never ever do that in real life it's just funny I say, dear Kenneth, and then I type out like a regular email. Being overly
2: formal with your friends or your family at work is is just a funny bit. It's just great. I yeah. mean, BBD. I feel like you probably don't have much of that because it's like there's no you saying.
3: doesn't have any friends. I sent Jake a very formal email when I had a dentist appointment over the summer. So that was that was a fun email to send. Uh, <laughs> do you guys have to correspond Do that work? Cause I know you you're obviously both lawyers and all, but like do you have to like actually talk to each other or yeah you guys have overlap or
1: anything we got a couple things together mostly just one big thing can't, it's confidential oh, yeah we? we're done talking about yeah. it can't talk anymore <laughs> sorry <laughs> anyway DBD, my, how, week, how my
3: week of work has been um pretty nice because we're on vacation and I, I went down to philly for a couple of days saw some college friends, probably not the most responsible thing, but I was owed being irresponsible for a little bit. Um cuz I'm better than COVID. <laughs> That's not true. But I but I did go visit some friends that I hadn't seen in a long time. So that was nice. Uh and guys, I've gotten very excited about the draft. Not not trying to move along past the hey, how are you's quite yet, but I've gotten myself pretty excited for a week from now.
1: It's good. Me too. I'm I'm actually taking off next Thursday and uh Friday just to just a to gather it all in take it all in (laughs) it's the only reason tom what's going on with you
2: hey guys i feel like it's been a long time since i've seen some of you so this is nice it's nice to get together um i don't know i i mean it's been a busy week at work i work like xbox is one of our clients so they they just released their new console today so that's been a, a whole thing for us um But yeah, I mean, I had a nice weekend, had my brother-in-law and his girlfriend and their little baby bulldog in town visiting us. We went to the beach, went to the park, did a bunch of fun outdoor stuff. It was gorgeous this weekend. So, you know, Um, but like you guys, I am also excited for the draft. I've been, if you follow me on Twitter at Tom underscore Piccolo, I've been uh, doing some, some clips, some little mini analyses on some prospects, not a ton, so don't get your hopes up, but Definitely, uh, definitely excited about it.
1: Speaking of brother-in-laws and Xboxes, when me and Kenny went to Spain one time to visit our sister. When she was in college, she went abroad. Her boyfriend, now husband, went with us. And it was one, right when Xbox 360 was coming out. So he was, he wanted to like go to a store to see if it had already come out in Spain before it got released in America. So he just walked in like an American. And he just said, like, to the clerk, TNA's Xbox 360? And the guy just looked at him, (laughs) that's not Spanish, and I have no idea what you're talking about.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's a true story.
1: And so he just, he ended up just dying laughing and coming out of the store, and he was just continuing dying laughing. No now we we haven't made fun of him for that See, in a I, long time. I didn't think you'd be
2: able to connect the you said speaking of brothers-in-law and Xboxes and I was like no way he's going to be able to bring this full circle but you did. You got
3: there.
0: Yeah. bridge the sure, gap. Ken,
1: Kenny was there. It's a true story.
0: I was there. I can confirm. I mean that doesn't
1: really confirm because he could have done that even if he wasn't there. But it it did happen. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how I, I can actually prove it to you. But let's get into it. I guess the Knicks have three picks: number eight, number twenty-seven, number thirty-eight. We've talked about it. We've, we've we've talked about it on and off for the last since March, pretty much, just because there's the Knicks haven't played basketball since then. We've had a lot of time to think. Knicks have a new front office who has had a lot of time to think, so they better they better do it right. And so it it seems like. It's it's kind of settling in who the Knicks might have as options. I think that the top three players getting drafted are people seem to think it's going to be Wiseman, Lamelo Ball, Anthony Edwards in some order. That's not set in stone either, but that just seems to be the consensus. I feel we'll like you can find mocks in any order for those. Yeah. Um...
2: But I agree. Yeah. And uh, with a safe assumption, those three will probably
1: be the top three. Yeah. Plus, you got teams that may trade up to get into those because you got the Timberwolves and the Warriors who are both in in some form of win now. So that leaves the Knicks with just a bunch of people who may slip because four to I don't know the 38? mid mid Yeah, four to thirty-eight are just it's a hodgepodge of people. And
2: weren't um, the weren't the Timberwolves actually worse than the Knicks this past year?
1: They were. There was a lot of teams worse than Knicks, believe it or it's not. It's just
2: funny to consider them win now when they're just – I mean, I know D'Angelo Russell and Cat didn't play much together, but even so, I, I don't know. I, I, don't th- I don't see them really uh, making that leap next season.
1: Yeah. I think Cat missed a few games as well, or, or a decent chunk of time, and then they solved the Wiggins problem by putting Getting him right on a it. different team. So It's pretty yeah. huge. I mean, let's. We're going to be talking some prospects. So, Tom, I, I think you're you're going to be our, our expert for the most part. I know Kenny's done some some film review, and BBD has his opinions about the magic. But <laughs> Tom, Tom, who who are who are some five prospects that you could see the Knicks picking? Your your top five prospects for the Knicks? Would you call them?
2: Yeah, and I'm not going to put this in in any order right now. I don't. Oh, th- well, should I should I put it in order? I think I'm going to put it in order uh, from five to one of who I think is most likely to be drafted at eight by the Knicks. I'll I'll do that. Um, At five, I'm going to say Tyrese Maxey. At number four, Kira Lewis Jr. Number three, Killian Hayes. Number two, Devin Vassell. And number one, Isaac Okoro. I think that he's the most likely selection for the Knicks and I, I wouldn't even put that I mean nowhere near 50 percent like I would put that at a pretty low percentage because there are just so many possibilities but as far as like the most likely outcome I think Okoro is going to be available at eight and I could just see the, the we've talked about this on prior podcasts just the Knicks really wanting a wing Okoro is a guy who and we could talk about all five of these guys about I mean starting with Okoro he's I mean, he's a he's a beast. He's like a defensive stopper. They list him at six six, two hundred and twenty five pounds. He's nineteen years old, um, and I'm ready to just get into some stats here. Just I'll, I'll give you guys some raw stats real quick, just to let you let it bounce off you. Here, he averaged thirteen points per game, four rebounds, two assists in about thirty one minutes. He shot only twenty nine percent from three on two and a half attempts per game, which probably will scare some people off. And then about and then he shot 67% from the free throw line on about five free throw attempts per game. So those shooting numbers are probably what's going to scare off some Knicks fans. But I mean, this dude is is a monster on defense. Like he can guard one through f- four and like some small ball fives. He kind of stature wise calls to mind like PJ Tucker, um, except he's got some some serious playmaking ability. I know those assist numbers weren't that high, but just watching his clips, like he's got some, some real vision. He, can, he is really strong getting into the paint, finishing at the rim, and also finding people, kicking it out off a drive. So I don't know. I, I would be actually – I remember saying I wouldn't be that happy with Isaac Okoro probably on past podcasts, but after digging into some tape, he seems like a real winning player. So I'm curious what you guys think about him.
3: I'm into Okoro. I, I, the night we found out about the lottery stuff, and I think since then, I, I think I said I wanted him at eight, uh, and and I'd be happy with him. Uh, the shooting stuff is is definitely a concern, um, because th- I think the last thing the Knicks need is another guy who can't really shoot, and he kind of, my understanding is he doesn't really project to ever be like a real shooter, but it's, but the defense is like special and i believe he's supposed to be like a good finisher and stuff he doesn't give you zero on offense you know so i would not be upset picking him but i, I hey, if you're scared off by the shooting i get it
0: and i don't think that the knicks need him if they get michael kid gilchrist i think they're just <laughs> like overlap too much uh but no seriously i i think you hit the nail on the head when you said that his shooting numbers would concern some Knicks fans, me being kind of on top of that list, uh cuz I and I've been saying it since our first podcast talking about the draft, I think they need to get someone who can shoot. And I know, you know, he's supposed to be a special defender and and like you said he has some playmaking ability, but I need someone who can shoot because like I don't think players develop um shooting like people project people to become better shooters but no one really you know uh, becomes a special shooter if they can't shoot to begin with um, and I think the other thing is I don't to the I know the Hawks are you know shopping their pick but to the extent that they stay at 6 two, two spots ahead of the Knicks I think that he is a guy that fits perfectly for the Hawks um and that he could cover up some of the the faults of Trey Young not being able to guard anyone and uh, you know they already have um collins and um and uh what's his name clint capella uh, as far as big men so like they're probably looking for a wing who can defend and and you know uh cover up some of those issues for for trey young so if they stay where they're at i don't think he gets to the knicks um and even if he gets to the knicks like i said i want someone who projects his ability to to shoot yeah and that I've been that was the other lot. one i had yeah with with him,
3: there's a lot of noise with him to the hawks and and everything, so true, uh, but there's also a lot of noise with them wanting to trade out, so I don't know. It's a little frustrating that that six pick seems to be so coveted when that's where the Knicks were supposed to end up if the lottery went chalk but whatever i'm not I'm not even mad about that it doesn't
0: matter
2: <laughs> and and again, I wouldn't say that Coro is like my top choice of who I'd want the Knicks to choose for some reason, I'm just thinking he's the most likely. Um, I, I do think that he's going to be available, uh, just because I've heard some Halliburton talk to the Hawks too, and I don't know. I, I'm just I'm thinking Okoro is going to be there, but I don't know. I, I've I've watched some clips. That his shot itself doesn't look broken. I mean, it's it's fairly smooth. I just sent a, a link to you guys in the chat. Um, it was a it was a, there was a game Auburn versus Kentucky, and it was it went down to the wire and. Okoro iced it with a step back three, which frankly he hadn't been shooting well at all in this game, but he had the confidence to take this this pretty tough shot and and really ice the game. Um, again, I mean that's a that's a one
0: instance circumstance there, but the Rajon Rondo situation,
2: right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but the fact that he had the confidence to do it, uh, I don't know. I, the bottom line about Okoro is he just. He plays like he cares. He just like always seems to give a shit. He's hustling all the time. He He's a strong yes. rebounder, a good defender. And uh, it, it, it'd be refreshing change of pace from Kevin Knox, who just like doesn't play with any kind of force at all. Like Okoro is strong, but also like uses his strength. He is like just a strong core, a strong base, and he like moves people around and... Like it'd be just be nice to see a Knicks rookie kinda of play with because even I mean, obviously Frank is more of a finesse type player as well. Um, he's more of like a fundamentals guy, beat you the spot type, but a Coro can go through you. Um RJ. You know, I, Yeah, no, and, and that's the thing, is is some people say that he's kinda of duplicative with RJ with their skill sets. Um and there's even been some chatter on like draft Twitter. That he's a better prospect than RJ, which I don't buy for a moment. But that's just how low people seem to be. Some people seem to be on RJ at the moment. But um, no, you wonder when when you're a team like the Knicks and you're just you're so bad. Like, should you just be drafting best player available versus fit with who you actually have? And that's and that's a good question for, for you guys.
1: I mean, I'm I'm all for going for not even best player available, but the highest ceiling. More so, because Okoro seems to be a low-ceiling, high-floor prospect. It seems like you kind of know what you're going to get with him. Um, But, I mean, Mystery Box could be anything, you know? could even be a boat. So, let's let's try to get that.
3: (laughs) He does – he just feels like he is a pro and overall will be a welcome presence on the Knicks. I don't – and I, and like I said, I'd be I'd be perfectly content with us ultimately ending up with him, but I, he does feel like the likeliest guy that we pick, and somebody later ends up better, which is always going to happen. But and,
0: yeah. and I mean, I question, he's a pro. I'd
3: he'd be welcome, but
0: I I question you know how high someone's ceiling is if they can't shoot. Like how many how many players in the league like are top level players that can't shoot? There's like Giannis, like Ben Simmons. I guess he.
2: Yeah, and I think that uh, yeah. the guy that people be looking at would be like Jimmy Butler, who's very hesitant to shoot threes but has a very strong mid range game. And I think you're kind of hoping that Okoro can can kind of develop that mid range. Um, but I don't I don't know. Like I, I think his dribbling is like a, a little weak. It, he can't break down his man off the dribble. But at the same time, we're looking at the eight number eight pick in a draft that is generally considered pretty weak. So like. If there are guys that have super high ceilings, chances are they may be gone by the time they get to 8 in this draft.
1: This is very true. You know, it seems like those people are going to be drafted 1 through 3.
2: You you think so and like that kind of brings me to the guy who I said was number 2 on my like most likely list and that was Devin Vassell who again like Okoro, probably doesn't have the highest ceiling. You know, he's kind of been pigeonholed as this 3 and D type wing and i've watched like a, a fair amount of him and i i kind of agree with it i mean he the one stat that's kind of uh, encouraging is he only hit one off the dribble shot his freshman year and he hit 39 his sophomore year i found that stat somewhere so that's a good trajectory like he wasn't creating for himself in any way his freshman year like he was just catch and shoot um but he was actually doing that a a decent amount in his sophomore year. So if he can kind of follow that trajectory, that's, that's what you want. But he's just, I mean, a a brilliant defender. Like he's not nearly as strong as Akoro, but he's super cerebral, very smart. Like I was always very impressed by his defense. And um, I mean, for the most part, he's kind of like a a catch and shoot guy. He gets out in transition, he'll run, but he's not going to run, pick and roll. You know, he's not going to, break you down off the dribble and create advantages that way um, at least that's not where he's at, at this point in his career
1: Dan Florida State was the number four team in the country when the season ended and he was the leading scorer on that team so I mean this is a good player by, by NCAA standards and he's only a sophomore so I'm, I'm all for him I mean we we Tom was very early on the bandwagon for him before we even knew, I'd mm. pronounce his name. Mm. But, but I mean, I think we're all aboard at this point. Right? I we think we'll we... be willing to accept him.
3: Yeah, I think. I mean, I know I certainly ha- have had my like Devin Vassell phase of draft stuff, and and have gotten decently into him. Tom put him on our radar on lottery night. Um, yeah, he just feels like the guy that is. Like, of the guys that I think we're planning to discuss, he feels like the most likely to be a very useful player on good teams, which is important. I don't know where how high his ceiling is, but 3 and D guys are, like, always useful. And uh, and with where the Knicks are as a franchise, getting a guy like him, or like a core, I said before, but especially Vassell, because he, he should be a shooter too. Um, it would be nice to, to just get a solid single or double. Even if it's not getting a home run draft pick, because it eight, Sometimes that's the best you can hope for. I don't know. Yeah, and, I, and it goes
2: it goes a little bit against what Greg, what you were saying with like the high ceiling thing, because he does. I mean, Devin Vassell might be the safest pick of all the guys that I listed in the in my five here. You know, like we, he's six six. He's one hundred and eighty pounds, so he's super skinny. But like you you said, he was a leading scorer at Florida State. He averaged just 12.7 points per game. So it was really like that team was kind of just like scoring by committee. Their, their second, or I mean the guy who they think is going to go even potentially higher in the draft than Devin Vassell was Patrick Williams, who didn't even start. He was coming off the bench as a freshman. Um, And like, he was definitely not looked to, to be like their leading scorer or or like bucket getter, you know, Patrick Williams is a whole, don't even get me started on him. So, with Devin Vassell though, one interesting thing was he'd have games where he'd just be like ice cold. He had a bunch of games where he was like 1 for 5 and like 2 for 6, o for 3. But then he would just catch fire some games. He had a 7 for 7 game. Like I don't know, he he was just he struck me as kind of like a streakier shooter than you'd expect for a guy who you kind of think of as like this stable shooting presence. Um but maybe that's just a, a factor of him being, you know, nineteen years old.
1: I mean, if if you don't mind I mean Kirk Kenny, you go first because I'm gonna change the subject.
0: Yeah, I, I mean I was, wasn't gonna say anything groundbreaking. I think that uh, he's a guy that I would, you know, accept as a pick because he has that shooting ability and he has a defensive ability to um to you know play a, a team defense which the team which uh the Knicks struggled with last year. Um, the one thing that I'll say is, you know, and I think Greg said this first a few months ago is I would prefer to have someone, you know, six, eight over someone six, six, uh, just because I think I'd, I'd rather have a bigger defensive wing, um, for just so we could slide RJ down to the two and, you know, let him do that. But I have no real qualms with us, uh, going with the
1: and um, I know you said not to get you started on Patrick Williams, but he seems to be in that Knicks range as well now. And he, like you said, he's been catching fire in this pre-draft for, for whatever reason. I don't know. And uh, he kind of reminds me of another Williams, Marvin Williams. Oh. Who uh, also didn't yeah. start a single game for, for, for North Carolina when they won the ring. And he he was the first of, of their big four drafted with uh sean may rashad and raymond felton so good friend marvin williams also just retired so good career marvin thanks for thanks for the memories and so uh no i, th- I think it's a good comparison i mean, I think he's in-
2: I mean patrick yeah, williams he's, he's he's very big he's like he's kind of between that three and four position they list him here on sports reference at six eight two twenty five um he's athletic but he's like not that fluid i noticed like people kind of think of him as this super versatile defender but i didn't think he could really get out and guard perimeter guys all that well i I think the bigger wings like your kawai's i think you'd feel more like fairly comfortable putting him on guys like that at some point in patrick williams career um but just looking at his stats here like he averaged nine points per game four boards one assist one steal one block he shot free throws 84% 84% but on just 2.6 attempts per game and 32% from three on 1.7 attempts. So he didn't shoot a bunch of threes and, and the ones he did shoot, he didn't do particularly well. But people think that he like can develop that stroke. I think with him, if you're talking about high ceilings, yes, he does have that, but I I don't project him to be... I'd, I'd be worried taking him. I, I hear the Detroit Pistons, uh, Pistons are kind of in love with him. So... I don't expect Not a indeed. good
1: amount of bustability. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, I, think, I think that's fair. That's that. That's one where you're just you're pretty much solely drafting on potential. There, like you said, he averaged nine points and didn't and he didn't start a game. Yeah, so guy, you can Williams, See what
3: people like, but um, don't like him for the Knicks at all. Because yeah. why would you I trust Mar- the Knicks to turn that into a good player?
1: Marvin Williams went right before uh, Chris Paul and. Dur- Duron Williams, I think. Yep. That might be so. a lie, but I think that's true. Um, I'll fact check myself.
0: You guys. No, I think he, I think he what did.
2: I think he season. went two. I think it was the yeah. 2005 draft. I think Dwight did. Dwight go first that year or Bogut? It, it might have been Bogut.
0: 2004 was Dwight because that was the year that Okafor and Gordon went two and three.
2: So it might have been Bogut and then Marvin Williams then Chris Paul and Darren Williams. Um, if if memory serves.
1: But. So I mean. Let's pick a Chris Paul rather than a Marvin Williams.
0: Yeah, and I, I completely agree with what you guys have said. I think Patrick Williams, a lot of people are enamored with him right now because of his you know physical measurements and like, what he projects to be. But right now the Knicks have a lot of players they're trying to develop, and I don't, I don't know that developing an entire team at the same time is like, – maybe it's a winning strategy, but it seems like someone's going to get lost.
1: Yeah, and it may be a little backwards, but I think Tom convinced me that the the high ceiling guys are probably going to be going to, going to the worthwhile high ceiling guys are are going to be gone at this point. So you may you may want to take a a safer pick here and then swing for the fences with one of the other two picks. I
2: think that's true, and, I, and I I think I kind of downplayed Devin Vassell's defense, or maybe I didn't. But like again, he was just brilliant defensively, like all over the ball, super long arms. Um, could lock guys down in the perimeter, but like he wasn't really getting pushed around either. Uh, and I expect him to put on some muscle on his frame. So like he, he talk about high floors. He definitely has that. Um, and then the, the third guy who I had on that, on that list of most likely was Killian Hayes, who kind of goes in the other direction. I don't think he really has a high floor at all. I think he has, he actually has a, a very high ceiling, um, the, the player comps that you'll hear about this guy are like James Harden. Uh, a lot of that is because of his size. He's a, he's a big, you know, he's a big frame. He's like six, four, um, broad shoulders. He's a left-handed point guard. Um, yeah, no, he's six five, two hundred 200 pounds. And he played over in Germany. And, uh, I don't know. Have you, have you guys gotten to watch any of Killian
3: Hayes's tape? I have, I fell in love a little bit last week. Um, I'm injured. If you're looking for the home run swing with this pick, I mean, it's Killian Hayes is the guy you got to have circled if you're going for that. Uh, and it, the, the further we've gotten along, the more it looks like he'll be there at eight. So, uh, I I'd be excited about him cause I've really talked myself into him. Um, the guys at the ringer have been pretty excited about him. I've been checked as I've been trying to do some research. They have a lot of high hopes for him. Uh, yeah, man, Kevin, Kev- O'Connor, Kevin O'Connor compared him to yeah he's compared him to he put him one on his big board he's compared him to Manu Ginobili and D'Lo and James Harden any left-hander yeah all the left handers yeah. Chris Bosh he, he threw Dragic in there <laughs> but uh, but with him like the playmaking does seem like it can be really 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 special the shooting tools are there they point to like the free throw numbers are good and that is the best way to project if somebody will be able to shoot in the NBA, um, and really like the the big downside with him, as far as I understand, is just that he isn't like an athletic freak. He's not like the fastest guy in the world, but like is like good body control. He has good court awareness. I'd be really into it, but I but again because he, I think of the guys we want to talk about in depth is the most bustable. I th- I think I I, I think. I understand if people want to avoid it, but but I'm into him.
0: Yeah, and I think of the people available, he's probably the one I'd be most excited about. Um, I, there's no one that I'm really, you know, absolutely pumped about, uh, but he would be the one that I'm most excited about because, like you said, he's uh, I, I have a thing for for big point guards. Uh, I think it, you know, their ability to see the floor and, and kind of protect the ball is. Uh, is something that I, I covet in a point guard. So it'd be nice to to get get him on board. Uh a potential French connection with Frank Nilakina would be a thing mm-hmm. in my dreams. Uh but oh, yeah. but you know I'm not I'm not, you know, one hundred percent we have to take him, but he, he is probably the guy I'd be most excited about.
1: Yeah. I mean and statistically what are the odds of picking two bad French point guards at number eight? <laughs> You know, one of them has to be good, and maybe the French Connection is a real thing. You could see them becoming friends and only passing the ball to each other, and, and the Knicks being good somehow.
0: Hayes did say know, that he did say that he talked to Frank about uh, like playing in New York and playing in the NBA and and all that. But wasn't wasn't he born in like Florida? Like, isn't he a military yeah. brat or something?
3: Believe so. Yeah, born in Florida give a google and confirm these things um yeah playing overseas all that stuff like he's exciting he he is the guy that if they pick him i walk away pretty excited on draft night um i think he's the guy that like we look is most likely to be the guy in five or ten years that we look back on say how is he not picked in the top five or ten or wherever he goes how is he not picked higher um he's just exciting all the tools are there he checks a lot of boxes for
1: me yeah yeah i mean i i'm I'm into him i'll that'll be my pick i'll I'll root for us to pick killian hayes i think a lot of people are are with you
2: i mean I, i think a lot of a lot of nick's twitter
1: is with you a lot
2: of nba draft twitter is with you it's um hearing guys like uh you know Mike Schmitz and, and Wasserman from Bleacher Report and uh Jonathan Gavoni from ESPN, like they all seem to think that teams are lower on Killian Hayes than like the internet seems to be. Hayes has kind of become this like folk hero among NBA draft Twitter nerds. Um and like I, I watched some some tape of his and I, I wrote down some strengths and weaknesses. Like his biggest strength was his pick and roll passing especially when he's going to his left, like he's throwing cross court passes and one arm hook passes and just like live dribble, just really high level passes. Um, he's also super comfortable with his step back off the dribble threes. Like he gets to those really well, kind of like James Harden, his percentages obviously were, were much lower, but, um, he's also really good at finishing at the rim with his left. And and his off-ball defense was good. Some weaknesses I had, though. I, I mean, he doesn't go right in any way, shape, or form. He would not, like, his right hand barely touched the ball. It was pretty wild. Like, defenses would be forcing him right, and he would, like, still be dribbling with his left hand to the right. It was kind of bizarre. Um, you know, you got to hope he – Yeah, I, th- I think he'll, he'll develop that, you know, being a professional basketball player. But still kind of strange. And, uh, the other two things I had were beating switches when he had like big guys switched onto him. He wouldn't, he wouldn't like just get by the guy. And part of that is, is the concern that BBD laid out with the lack of athleticism or just like, like explosiveness because he's a fluid athlete. Like he looks smooth and he looks good out there. He does a lot of the deceleration and stuff and he's very coordinated with his footwork, but he can't just like blow by somebody. And that's concerning because in the German league he was playing in, it's not like those are freak athletes he's going against. You know, he, In the NBA, the defend, the defenders are going to be much more athletic. So that was one concern. And the last weakness I had was getting to the line. He just didn't get to the free throw line. He kind of avoided contact a lot of the times, um, which is worrisome because I know I mentioned with Okoro playing with force. I didn't really get that impression with Killian Hayes. He's, he's also kind of more of a finesse guy. He's very skilled. But he's not gonna just like, you know, get you a bucket when you really need it. I feel like so that that's just kind of my my concern with him. So I would be happy with Killian Hayes. I'd be like very happy with the the potential there. But I'd also probably be most worried about that pick.
0: That's fair. Like I think I think there are concerns to to Hayes, and but like Greg said, what are the what are the chances of drafting two bad? French point guards.
3: Yeah, at I just eight. don't see it happening. At
0: eight, who are big French point guards.
2: Yeah, and, and that kind of brings us to the next point guard uh, that I was that I had in the list here at number four, most likely, and that was Kira Lewis Jr. He's someone who I've been watching a lot of tape of lately. And I mean, this guy is kind of the opposite of Killian Hayes in some ways, in that he is just Freakishly fast with the ball, like he makes. I, I was saying, Killian Hayes couldn't beat switches. I mean, there is everything's a mismatch. It seems like for kira Lewis Jr. Like he seems to beat his man at will. He is just that fast. He kind of reminds you of. I, I've heard a lot of De'Aaron Fox comparisons, and he's a little smaller, I think, than De'Aaron Fox. So he's a, he's a small guard. But I mean, man, this guy is just like he's electric. He's like he's so much fun to watch. And uh like I, I could see him potentially having high bust ability too, just because maybe of his size, um, he get picked apart on defense. But I mean in general so they list him at 6'3", hundred and sixty-five pounds. That's that's pretty pretty petite. But in his thirty-one games at Alabama this year, he averaged almost nineteen points per game, five rebounds, five assists. Uh, he shot 46% from the field, third almost 37% from 3 on about 5 attempts and then 80% from the free throw line on four attempts. So he's he's a good shooter, like he's a, he's a strong shooter. And uh I don't know, have you guys like seen anything, heard anything about Kira Lewis Jr.?
3: I avoided the the Keira Lewis thing for a while cuz he just didn't seem to be in either of the Knicks ranges with their early pick and then with their later pick. He seemed like he's going to fall like right in the middle there. Until recently, because he's just flown up all the draft boards you know, over you know we've had five extra months from where the draft would have been in June. Um, and he's a guy who's kind of taken advantage of it and and has gone way up and is an option at eight. And uh, everything you said, I agree with. he's and he is the next most exciting guy for me behind Hayes just because I think it's probably the size that gives me the edge on wanting Hayes a little more. But your Lewis, six three four point guard is—I feel like isn't like that small. It's a little overstated, and he makes up for it a little bit. He's got a longer wingspan. He still has a six six wingspan, according to some website I'm looking at for that. So I know, I'm into it. It's interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know. Someone else go.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, if he's a—we don't know if he's a reach because everything's been all over the place. But I mean, if if that's your guy. At eight, since everything's all over the place, then then you go get him. I know. to To talk about the NFL draft for a second, I know a couple of years ago that the the Raiders picked Cleveland Farrell at four, or who was lower? He was like a a low teens prospect according to some big boards? But people said like if if people aren't willing to trade down with you and that's your guy, then you just pick him where wherever you have your pick. So if that's what it is. So with the, we could just pick here Lewis jr at eight. Who cares? Nobody's going to be like, Oh, that was a crazy pick.
0: I feel like that's Especially what the Giants it, did with Daniel Jones too.
3: Yeah. And it wouldn't, and because it wouldn't require like a huge trade down, like, yeah, optimally you're, you would trade down to like 12 and pick him or something, whatever, whatever the numbers are. Um, but it's not like it's going to be some huge drop off from eight is where they should have picked him in theory. And, and maybe he, Maybe something crazy happens and he goes even earlier. It's probably gonna be something we don't expect, but, uh, but yeah, because you wouldn't have to trade down like super far to be where he's supposed to be. Just take him if that's who you want, Knicks.
1: Yeah, exactly. Forget yeah. what the haters say.
2: I mean, when I went to, to watch him, I expected this guy to just be like straight up a transition point guard, like just always having to push. And then when he gets in the half court, he kind of you know, he can't use his speed as well. He He's just like not as skilled. That was kind of my expectation going in, but I didn't find that at all. I thought that he was really good at navigating ball screens. Um, he, you know, he'll, the screener will like flip the screen. He'll, he'll like develop some chemistry with his teammates there and he'll just like find angles to beat his guy. Like he only needs a little bit of room and he can just like burst through these little seams in the defense and, and get to the rim. And, I mean, from what I could see, I only watch you know I only watch like one or two games of these guys before I make these determinations because I don't have all the time in the world. But like he seems like a good finisher. He has really good footwork around the basket. Um, so yeah, I was I was pretty in on Kira Lewis Jr. Like probably even more so than Killian
1: Hayes to be honest. Yeah, I mean he puts up stats so. I can't complain. Yeah, only, only defensively would be your your question mark, since it seems the offense is there. Yeah, I was gonna, I was
3: gonna ask what you thought about the defense. As someone who's done probably more research on him than anyone here, I mean, definitively more research on him than anyone here, because the the offensive profile seems rather complete. But the defense of, doesn't. Yeah, it
2: does, though, right? Like he can shoot. It's just it's kind of surprising that he's not getting mocked higher in some of these yeah. and, 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 like what I just wonder what I'm missing you know what I mean like it's it's surprising to me because he does seem it. like he's kind of the full package on the offensive end and, and defensively I, I actually was watching him on the defensive end and, and thought that he made some smart rotations but it, it was such a small sample size like I can't mm. really say I mean he's really skinny like he needs to add strength that's a lot of rookie point guards are like that yeah. too but you know you would
3: assume with like the size other than like the size and stuff that like even with that, the, with how good his offense is, he have to be like an absolute disaster on defense to not be like considered a higher-level prospect than he is, especially in this draft. So it's, yeah. it does feel like there's just something everyone's missing one way or the other.
2: Yeah, and I, I think that part of it, actually, and I've seen people cite his uh, assist-to-turnover ratio as something, but at the same time, like Killian Hayes, I mean, he turned the ball over a ton, in germany so like I, I saw games where he was like creeping on double digit like i mean he had that may have been exaggeration but he had some really high turnover games so if you're like pointing to that for keir lewis jr i don't really know if you know i, I think you have a similar issue with killing hayes there so you know he might not be like an elite level passer but i saw saw him make some really good reads some good looks too so uh, you know I, I i to me i'm pretty pretty into him as a prospect. Yeah.
3: That was that was kind of the thing I had read on it was like, yeah, he probably isn't like a special level passer, but he, he makes the smart plays, he makes like the right play most of the time.
2: Yeah, that's the difference with Killian Hayes. Is people see him as like this genius level passer, and I, I could see that too. Plus, plus his size and and his frame kind of projects differently. But um, I was bringing it around to the to the final guy that I listed in the in the top five, and that's Tyrese Maxey out of Kentucky. Um, the, the freshman, he was actually mocked by John Hollinger to go to the Knicks, right? In the in the latest uh, Athletic mock draft, but um, just real quick on Maxia, he, uh, he's six three, two hundred pounds. Um, he'll be twenty in November. He played thirty one games his freshman year. He he put up fourteen points per game, four boards, three assists in about thirty five minutes. Um, he shot forty three percent from the field, twenty nine percent from three on about three and a half attempts per game. And then 83% from the free throw line on about four free throw attempts per game. So, you know, those numbers are kind of a mixed bag. Um, I I can tell you, I watched a lot of Maxi, and he actually mostly didn't play point guard for his team. Like they kind of had a three guard system down there in Kentucky. And he did a ton of just running off ball, off ball screens. Like, he was. It almost seemed like he was like Ray Allen at times, but he shoots twenty nine percent from three. It was kind of a strange way to use him, but hmm. it's because he just loves using that momentum to to beat his man. Like he he'll rip through and he'll like make really quick decisions, and and he's strong and he's he's pretty fast and he just gets into the paint. Like he gets to the basket, he finishes in transition. Um, he's he's just mostly a he was mostly a secondary ball handler. So it's strange to kind of hear him. Uh, used as a point guard, or like hear him projected to be a point guard, because I didn't. I mean, he did it a decent amount, but it, it didn't seem to be like his primary position when the when the Kentucky was had all their best guys on the floor.
1: It sounds like uh, using Demontis Abonis as a squad up shooter in in Oklahoma City, like <laughs> that, that, that sort of coaching get, job going on. But, I mean, Maxi is pretty much. I've done the most research on, and by that I mean I watched a one-minute video clip of him on, on Twitter, and I was very impressed. He was he was draining threes, but you always forget how good all these people are at basketball when they're in an open gym. Everybody just hits every shot. I know I've seen videos of JaVale McGee just knocking down every three that he sh- shoots in, the, in an open gym, but I think the potential for Maxi to, to become a good shooter is, is good. I mean, like you said, his his free throw percentage was high, and we we like to use that as our projection number, as as do a lot of experts, as, as BBD mentioned earlier. Um,
2: yeah, and I, and I will say that his his stroke is super smooth. Like, it, it looks very repeatable. Um, it, it's the same every single time he does it, and it's just a low release. Like, he kind of shoots it in front of his face a little bit, so you wonder if he'll be able to get that off against longer defenders in the NBA, but... I mean, if he can get that, height. yeah, if he can raise that up a little bit, again, it, the mechanics just look, he looks very coordinated, very smooth. Um, so I do think he's going to be a good shooter. And the other thing that like you, you hear Jay Billis and all these announcers saying every game is that in every big game, Maxi would show up and be the guy, which is pretty rare for a freshman. Um, and it was true. Like I watched some of these games when he was going against Isaac Okoro granted um auburn ended up winning that game but he was the guy in crunch time they would go to even in the half court he would be running pick and roll and it seemed like auburn didn't really know how to defend him very well but you know he would he does like a lot of crafty finishes around the basket like i don't you never see him above the rim like dunking or anything like that but he's very good at just like putting english on the ball getting a spin on around the backboard and, and finishing that way so um yeah i I also like Maxi. I would be happy with this pick. I think, I do think you could probably get him later in the draft. You know, if you if you're able to trade back, but I don't know that that's going to be an option. And
1: like you said, you got to go get your guy. And yeah, I mean, uh, just to bring it back to the NFL real quick, a couple of
0: years ago the Raiders picked Cleveland <laughs> Farrell number four. Now you go <laughs> ahead, Kenny. Exactly. Um, and one of the reasons that I've heard that Maxi is kind of moving up is because of the recent you know overperformance of guys like Jamal Murray and uh, Devin Booker and Tyler Hero all out of Kentucky so um, and I know even when Carl Anthony Towns was at Kentucky he didn't I don't think he shot a single 3 the entire time he was there and then like his first season yeah. in the NBA he was like a good and a good shooter so like I don't I mean I don't know if it's a product of Calipari just having to you know spread distribute you know the the shots around or if it's just he kind of puts the shackles on his guys which you know doesn't really um show off their talents as much but a lot of people are seeing that as as he could be that next potential guy um unfortunately those guys those same people didn't watch Kevin Knox play basketball so who knows yeah you hit it, on you know a
3: few things i i was going to say cuz like with Kentucky we we have seen like a kind of a pattern where they have guys that when get to the NBA, they all of a sudden have like a new skill that was just like, Oh, we just didn't see that in any games with like Carl. I think with his shooting, I guess, to a lesser extent, like I don't know, cousins with his and, you, know, you there's other examples of it. And also just with Kentucky, just the guys who come out of there are just generally work out and are good. The Knicks happen to have the two guys who didn't, but um, let's yeah. not
2: forget Malik Monk.
3: <laughs> yeah. It's two of the three There's guys who didn't. There's others, but for the most part, I feel like guys who are like lottery picks out of Kentucky, it does feel like they work out a good amount of the time. Kentucky guys and
1: become pros. It's very funny that that a couple guys in this draft have been benefiting from from the work that other players did in the bubble. Like that aren't like we're, them. Talk, <laughs> we're talking about uh, you know, Maxi right now. You see what Booker, Jamal Murray, and Tyler Hero all did. People, people now, people think that Maxie could do that. Just and imagine what, Patrick, what this different guy can do. Yeah, like Patrick Williams is another guy who's like, oh, this is a long, athletic wing. We a lot of teams on the bubble need that type of player. So they were successful, so let's move him up the draft board to top top ten. Like when we first talked about Devin Vassell, we weren't even thinking about Patrick uh, Williams. Now it seems seems pretty clear that Pete Williams is going to get drafted before Fasel at this point. I th- was, yeah, I think that's a safe bet after after doing nothing between those two periods of time.
0: <laughs> Who was the the guy in the bubble that was just the defensive specialist out of nowhere? Was that Dort? Dort, yep. Oh yeah, for the Dort. Thunder. Yeah, and I feel like people talked about Okoro in that way as as that kind of defender. I don't know. I think you you make a valid point of what the bubble did for for some of these people who, since no no other basketball has been played in the last eight months or whatever it's been.
2: Didn't Dort have like thirty points in a game seven or something crazy? Yeah, he yeah. Did. He also
0: yeah. he also like had a pretty much a turnover. He made a terrible decision at the end of the game, but it didn't matter because someone else did something. <laughs> oh, so he
1: stepped he stepped out of bounds. He was, his foot was already on the line, but I mean, to give you guys a refresher, he got the ball, but he was out out of bounds on the sideline. So he was shooting a three to, to win the game, and James Harden blocked it, and then Dort rebounded it, but his foot was on the line. But then Dort was just standing there, and Harden was standing out of bounds, and instead of like shooting it again, Dort threw the ball at Harden, who mm. was standing
0: out of bounds.
1: And Harden dodged it. Ah, so yeah. so it was yeah, and it was
0: the end of the game. So it basically, looked like he just threw the ball straight out of bounds with the, with a, the game on the line.
1: Yeah, with with nobody in front of him. Well, that hopefully, Isaac, hopefully Isaac Okoro doesn't do that. Uh- <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, that I, was last all, thing I was I'll say- very upset
3: when that happened because of the Knicks.
2: So last thing I'll say about Maxi, like he's just super competitive. Like you tell, he really wants to win. Um, you know, you can't say that about every prospect the Knicks have gotten. You know, some of them seem a little, a little chill when it comes to. Some of them
1: really want to,
2: really want to win at Fortnite. Fortnite, yeah.
1: Instead of basketball.
2: <laughs> but uh, you know, again, I like Maxi. I like he's he's just all over these like Euro steps. He's got the great footwork too, kind of like I men I think he's got even better footwork than Kira Lewis Jr., who I mentioned before. And then, um, he's over here finishing with both hands around the rim. He's got good touch. So. Yeah, I'm I'd be happy with Maxie and, and those are kind of the, the five guys I'm I'm looking at for the Knicks to get at eight. But is there anybody else you guys think I'm sleeping on? Anybody else I'm I'm missing you think that the, the Knicks may target with that pick?
3: I think I think it I mean it very well could end up that they pick someone else at eight, but I, I think the only guy that might be an option and, and we'd regret not having a conversation about him is Tyrese Halliburton. Just We've heard a lot of noise about the Knicks liking him, um, and he does. He's pretty universally mocked to be in in that range, whether you know, whether it's higher or maybe a little after the Knicks. It seems like lately, he probably won't make it to eight, but he he could. So I don't know. We should probably do do a conversation here.
0: I like Halliburton, and I I don't know if we've talked about this on the pod before. I've definitely talked to you guys about it before, but. Uh, he is an excellent passer from what I've seen and he makes his shots. Uh, it doesn't look pretty, but he makes them, uh, at a good percentage and he's a very tall point guard. Um, I think, I think, uh, Tom's knock on him is going to be that he doesn't have that explosive athleticism to get by people, uh, but he does have the height to, to kind of see over the defense and, and some of the passes that I, you know, in the videos that I've seen him, uh, seen of him. He makes just special passes, um, and so I, I'd be on board for that pick, but like you said, BBD, I think uh, a lot of people are mocking him prior to the next pick.
1: So, Tom, you have you have a rebuttal for that? Well, so,
2: no, Kenny basically said what I was going to say. <laughs> you, you don't even need me here, but no, but I, I will say that, like, it's become very in vogue on NBA draft Twitter to just kind of, you know, really criticize Halliburton and say – He would not be a good fit on the Knicks. A lot of people say he would be good on good teams and just terrible on bad teams because he can't be the guy. He can't be the primary ball handler, even though he's kind of a point guard. Um, And I can see that, but I don't know. He does seem like he's got a winning personality. I listened to his interview with with Mike Schmitz where they go and break down the game tape. And he's just a very charismatic guy. He kind of gives off some some uh, I was gonna say Russell Wilson but in a good way vibes I feel like Russell Wilson kind of sucks I don't yeah I have a hard time listening to him in interviews and stuff but Tyrese Halliburton seems like someone who could like galvanize his teammates and and he's just he just seems like a good good dude to be around um I've got some stats for him here just real quick he's they list him at 6'5 175 pounds he's 20 years old um, in his 22 games played this season, he averaged 15 points per game, six boards, six and a half assists in about 37 minutes. He shot 50% from the field, 42% from three, on almost six three-point attempts per game, and 82% from the free throw line on just two free throws per game. Um, he had the ball in his hand a ton in college, and like he was... I'm looking at his ball pick and roll ball handling stats here. They have the synergy stats on NBA.com and he was in the 31st percentile in the country as a pick and roll ball handler, averaging just point six four points per position. That's not what you want in a pick and roll ball handler coming out of college. Um, I mean, let's, let's just blame the
1: roller for it. Yeah.
2: I think that you may be able to, um, <clears throat> I wrote, I wrote a couple of his strengths. I said, he's a really good spot up shooter but he has a weird shot and then he is in transition. He's got great vision. He does throw some of those special passes that Kenny mentioned, but as far as weaknesses go, Kenny nailed it. Like he, he has a really hard time beating his man off the dribble. He can't get by switches. He can't really get downhill very well. He will take some really tough mid range jumpers, some pull-ups that look like they have no chance to go in. Sometimes they do. Um, so I'm actually pretty torn on this guy. Like I do think he's a winning player, I just don't think he should be the primary ball handler. So, if the Knicks get him, would they be able to play him off ball? Like is would you have RJ kind of run the show on offense and and have Halliburton play off the ball? I mean that that could be an option there too. I think he's a he's a str- fair strong defender. So, um yeah, I, that... I don't know. I'd be very uh
3: just ambivalent if if the Knicks took him. I won't I, I wouldn't be upset about him by any means, but he he does kind of feel like the guy that of the people we've talked about that I would feel like it feels rude to say disappointed because like I think he has a lot of very valuable tools and I and everything I've read he makes like winning plays and everything Um, the way it was described I want to say this was Macri said it but that he described him as like he doesn't really work as like the engine of a winning team and I suppose none of these guys are are necessarily that either, but um, when the consensus feels like that's the case with him and the other guys hey, maybe one day. I don't know. I I do like the tools. I don't love them for where the Knicks are, but but at the end of the day, I think he ultimately ends up a good player, and I've been talking about wanting a guy who is going to just be able to contribute, and I think he'll be able to do that uh, in my limited knowledge on him.
2: Yeah, man. I, I just think at, at eight in this draft, looking for someone who's going to be like a productive offensive engine, it's it's going to be a tough, going to be a tough find. I don't know that many of these guys will be that. Um, day one, <laughs> cer- certainly I, not day one. I, I just think you know Halliburton brings a lot of intangibles. Just he did just come across really well in the in the interview I saw, and then from everything I've heard, he's just a, a really good leader. He says the right stuff. He's super confident. Um, I've heard some Lonzo ball comparisons, but like he can actually shoot.
0: Um, it sounds to me like I of us am the highest on Halliburton because i I would make that question, or I would make that pick no questions asked, um, like even if you don't play him as the the primary ball handler, and like you said, you you have r j. Barrett be the primary ball handler. You stick him on the perimeter as a a spot up shooter. You said he was he was one of the top spot up shooters in the college basketball this year. If he does that and he's also an excellent passer, like that creates you know a lot of options for your offense and I'm fine with taking that at eight, and he's also a, a solid defender, so he's not going to be a liability on that end of the court so i'm I'm fine with that yeah, and just Kenny,
2: I'm with you.
3: yeah, just listening to you guys over the last few minutes has made me higher on him than I was I think coming into the episode. Um, which I think says more about me than anything else. But <laughs> I, I'm just <laughs> um, I'm, I,
2: I'm wary that the consensus on the internet is that he is a terrible pick. Like everyone just seems to be saying that um, on the different blog, Nick's blogs, and everyone's just so low on him, which is bizarre because he's a guy who's been mocked. I've seen you know I've seen as high as four, and if he drops to eight, I I do think that's a, that's a win. Um, I don't know, like the question for me is would i rather have halliburton than any of the five guys that i listed before and that's something i'm kind of still grappling with a little i'm not entirely yeah. sure
3: yeah the other yeah the other end of it is that like if you're picking him at eight i mean just mathematically one of the guys we've already discussed has to be available um i'm not sure how many of them i would pick halliburton over maybe it's all of them but but i I don't think so. I think I'd still pick Hayes and Garel and Lewis over him, maybe even Vassell.
0: I mean, so I, I, I don't think, know. It's a
3: weird thing. Yeah. I, I think have another thing, but I
1: we'll mean, any back to it. Any decision for something is a decision against something else.
0: Yeah. And I I think that oh, I wow. would have uh <laughs> have Halliburton in the and Killian Hayes is the two I'd be most excited about. And uh to bring it back to baseball, I think um, talking about Moneyball uh one of the reasons that i think everyone is so down on him is cuz he shoots weird um and that that was the whole thing about Moneyball is them finding people who were overlooked for some reason and the, you know the the example they gave was Kevin Youkilis who had a weird batting stance and ran weird but turned out to be a good player so i think i think people are too down on his his shot because it looks weird even though it goes in
2: I think that's right, Kenya. I think people just look at it and there's kind of like a knee-jerk reaction. Like in your gut, you're like, that's not how you shoot a a basketball. Certainly not at the pro level. And so you wonder if he's going to even be able to get that shot off. It's not that slow. It's just very unorthodox and, and it's a bizarre release. And so, I, you know, I'm not a shot doctor or an expert in that field. But, like, I feel like he'll be able to get that shot off with his size, that it won't be that much of a hindrance and given how much range he had, he was shooting from very deep in college and his accuracy. Like I, it does seem like it's going to be, uh, it's going to be rec- replicable uh, at the professional level.
3: Yeah. I feel like everybody I've heard talk about his shot says like back to back sentences every time the shot is weird, but it goes in. And it's like just what they, that's what everyone says. It's like, yeah, it does the form is still kind of weird looking because I know like the general playmaking stuff isn't like guaranteed to be great you know as as far as being the focal focal point of an offense you need him to be able to shoot in order for it to be like worth it and I think he will be but the, the form is concerning
2: yeah it's funny like the more I watch some of these guys the more I like them and so it's like I mean that's probably just like because I'm spending all this time like investing my time in watching them, so I'm like, it's worth it because they're good. But the guys who I don't watch, you know, like Anthony Edwards, I watch very little of him. Denny Adiha, like I Onyeko Okongwu, I didn't watch any of his games. So I'm like those guys are terrible. I don't, <laughs> I don't yeah. watch them at all. Like <laughs> it's just kind of funny how your perception sort of changes the more you watch these these guys and. And you kind of fall in love with certain things about them.
3: So that's sort of the thing with the draft is that there's not like really the standout guys. I mean, the top three guys are pretty locked into being the top three guys. But even among them, there's not like we don't know if any of them are going to be stars. But it, there's a lot of guys in the draft that are interesting and can be like contributors to good teams and like big time contributors to good teams. Uh, one last one on Halliburton because. Like, I, the one thing I've like read about him is that like the warriors who are at two are like fully in love with him. And I know we've talked a lot about Clell and Farrell on this episode, but uh, you can't pick yeah. him at two. I mean, it's a, like, it sounded like if the warriors can trade down, like if they can figure out a way to trade down at all to somewhere where he'll be, they like want him. And it does feel kind of like a perfect fit with what they do and all that. Cause he can play off ball yeah. pretty easily, and the other guys can play off ball too when they want to let him you know, run point or whatever. So that's a thing that exists.
1: Kenny, you got any other final players?
0: I mean, I have I have a couple guys that I did some deep dives into. I don't know if we want to save those for another rep. I think we're an hour in now. Um, I could do a. Say who say who they are, and then I'll let you know. So the, the two guys I mean the two guys that I did deeper dives into were uh Aaron Niesmith and uh Sadiq Bey, who are very kind of similar in how I imagine teams will look at them as kinda three and D guys with, you know, the potential to be more, but they have kind of different different projections in my mind and whether they can get their ceilings and floors and things like that. Yeah. So I'm I'll Neesmith was one of the guys that I think
1: is is a possibility because, I mean, if you just look at his numbers and you watch like a a quick five minute video of him, you you like like we said with Kyrie Lewis Jr., you wonder what you're missing. I mean, he he hurt his foot, so he's coming off an injury, but in fourteen games he averaged twenty three and shot over fifty percent from three on high volume. So so. I mean that just you that type of player doesn't exist ever. Yeah, and if you want so,
0: if you want me to to express the concerns to you, um, his defense like he he looks he has the the tools to be a good defender, and from what I have seen and heard, uh, a part of the problem was the the style that Vanderbilt ran for defense was to just um, you know force people to go into the defender. So he played like he basically just let people blow by him all the time, and it, it it's a concern. Um, but again, I don't know how much of it is has to do with uh, the style of defense that Vanderbilt was playing.
1: I mean, that's that's just classic Greg Poon defense. Just hopefully he doesn't make this shot.
0: <laughs> yeah, but like if you watch, uh, he he does, and I there are things that I don't think are part of the defense. Uh, like he looks like he gets kind of caught flat-footed. A decent amount like if someone has a is just standing there and has a quick first step they're gone um a lot of the times he's he has the length to kind of make up for it and and he has a lot of help side blocks um from people being funneled into him but people just blow by him more often than i am comfortable with but he he does he is a ridiculously good shooter like he he catch, catch and shoot catching off of screens kind of he had some uh step back threes like he has the whole arsenal and uh, he looks like he will be an excellent shooter. Um, I'll say that it looks a fraction of a second slower than, you know, the, the kind of top shooters that you think about. But I think it might be because he's, you know, he's a bigger shooter and with much gotta, longer arms.
1: You got to check your settings on YouTube. Yeah,
0: that might be it, too. But I, I mean, I think he definitely projects to be a, a very good shooter.
2: Yeah, right. and part of it, I mean, Greg. I, the, part of it that Greg mentioned was he only played 14 games because he hurt his foot. So, you know, some of the that was his sophomore year. You look back to his freshman year where he played 32 games. Um, you know, he only averaged 11 points per game his freshman year. And it's not rare. I mean, that's that's a huge leap between freshman and sophomore. There are 11 points to 23 points. Um, he shot five and a half threes per game his freshman year and shot just 33.7 percent. From three. So he jumped from thirty three point seven percent to fifty two point two percent on eight attempts in those fourteen games. So I mean you wonder like how much of that is just like a, a crazy hot streak. Like that's it's not a huge sample, just fourteen games that you're going on. But I, I yeah. believe like from what I saw that it, yeah. it is like he's undoubtedly a good shooter, like a very, very good shooter. Um but like is yeah. he over fifty percent on that crazy volume? I, I would be pretty surprised.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not a, like, like we said, it's not a huge sample size, but it's also not a tiny sample size is the other thing. But, I mean, 14 games to shoot 50% from three is on that volume is is crazy. It's still and crazy.
0: He's... Yeah, and I'll give you guys kind of the the rest of my, my scouting report on him is um, he does work well off of his shot. If he's making a shot, he, he's good at, you know, doing a pump or a jab step or something and getting by the defender and getting into the lane, um, he seemed like he was okay at finishing and, uh, not great at reading the the floor in terms of what the defense gives him. Um, he had some nice drop off passes, but a lot of the times it looks like, uh, one of those situations where he decides what he, he's going to do before the defense kind of develops. Um, and you know, so maybe, maybe that develops over time, maybe not, but at the very least he's going to be, he's going to be a good shooter.
2: Yeah, I, I did one. Yeah. I watched one game of his, and I did wonder about kind of his basketball IQ. The, the game I watched Kenny was the one where he like didn't do anything all game until he just caught fire at the very end. Um, I'm forgetting.
0: That's the uh, that was the Auburn versus uh, Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt Vanderbilt game, and that yeah. was also the game that he got injured. And he got injured at the beginning of the second half before he did all of that. So take that for what you will. Wow. I but mean, there, yeah, there was. There was one play in that game where uh, he was guarding Okoro and he got caught flat-footed and Okoro just went right by him and dunked on someone else.
2: At least it was someone else. So um, I guess we pick Okoro. Pick
1: <laughs> I will, like... Also, zero, zero, 0.9 assists per game.
2: That's what I was going to say next. That's like some Wiggins-level stuff right there. Like, that's, you know, 23 points per game. Like, you have the ball in your hands. Some. And... <laughs> less than assists per game. Like he must have just extremely limited vision and, uh, and passing ability.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, that's fair. I think he, uh, I feel like I've, I've been too negative on him. Cause like, I do think that he'll be an excellent scorer. Cause I think, like I said, he can, he can shoot the three, uh, he is good at getting by his defend the first level of the defense. Um, he can he hits you know pull up twos once he gets by, by the first and sometimes he gets all the way to the rim and with mixed results. But I think that you know over time as, as he develops that could be a more you know successful part of his game. But yeah, I, I think the the passing leaves something to be desired and and uh, the general you know reading the defense leaves something to be desired.
2: So Kenny, if he got drafted at eight, how would you feel?
0: Um, I think a lot of the guys that you mentioned I'd probably take over him if they if they moved down a little bit to get him, I'd be fine with it because he's a, he's a guy that I think you could just park him on the corner and let him shoot and he'll be fine. Um, and I think his defense he has the potential to be a good defender, and I'm interested to know how much of it was the defensive scheme that Vanderbilt was running and how much of it was you know him just uh, kind of losing losing his attention and, and just getting blown by.
1: All right. I mean, any, any final thoughts from anybody? We've, we've had a good conversation here. I mean, we'll, we'll pick up with Sadiq Bay next episode. Knicks have a, <laughs> a, a, the 27 pick and the 38 pick, and we haven't gotten to those yet. So I think I think we'll be back before the draft happens next Wednesday. Do you guys have any final thoughts?
3: Yeah, maybe. I guess we'd like to do one more thing between now and the draft we do something Sunday night or something. I don't know. So hopefully another episode Monday, and then another one reacting to the draft for next week. I suppose in case that doesn't happen because we're kind of flaky. Um, <laughs> what <laughs> do we want to do? We want to throw some uh, some names out there of guys we just like have heard about for twenty seven and quick hitter things. That I we mean, we we them? could
1: just throw we can throw names out, but I think we have to do this other episode. Yeah. I think yeah, we our to feel kind of important. Let's commit to let's <laughs> commit to the next episode. Let's commit I don't...
2: to
3: doing another episode yeah. and we talk about some later <laughs> options.
2: It's on the air. We're we're, we're saying
1: even it now. if it's we're
3: saying it now.
1: Even if it's just a tom solo pod, doesn't that's enough.
3: Yeah, we're committed. It doesn't to that. matter. I guess uh, the, then the one thought is if they do take a coro at uh at eight, there's just a bunch of guards that are all potentially interesting for different reasons. And one of them should be there at 27 slash. I hope one of them is there at 27. So what, I don't what, know what we should,
0: play. what we should do is wait until they make the eighth pick draft drafted. And then we should <laughs> pod for the 27th one between the two.
1: Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> right. <laughs> good stuff. All right. Well, I think we had a fun episode. I think we, I've, I've learned a lot. I'm not, I hope you've all learned a lot. Um, we'll be back on hopefully Monday, but it'll be sometime before Wednesday, or it could be Wednesday pre-draft when it would drop. But, but I mean, we'll we'll see you soon. Let's talk next I mean, we're done talking next. Let's go,
0: next. Next day.